church sanctuary should be safe. No hurt or harm should come to anybody that comes to the house of God. But the enemy is a thief, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And we pray for the police officer that gave his life protecting that flock and the different, different things that are happening right now in the nation. If you're at Acts 13 and 36, the thought of the theme today, and someone asked, what is Church of the Harvest all about? And I said, we are a full gospel congregation. We believe what the Bible says. The Bible says there are miracles. We believe in miracles. The Bible says there's joy. We believe in joy. What, what the Bible says that we believe it, and our church isn't really built upon theology or kingdom principles. Our church is built more on how-to. And that is how to have a better life, how to have a better husband, how to be a better wife, how to be a better employee, how to be a better person. Because I believe that one day we're going to stand before God and give an account for the things that we did or did not do. The thought or the theme today is simply entitled, How to Outlive Your Life. How to Outlive Your Life. Ponder just for a moment. Look to your, look to your neighbor. Take, give me a break. Just look at your neighbor and, and, and say this to them. What will people say 100 years from now about you? What will people, what, will there even be a legacy? My great-grandfather was Marilyn Monroe's personal butler. He shot a man, didn't, have the, didn't even have the decency to stand out in the street and face off. He shot a man through a bar door and killed him. That's my great-grand, that's the only relative I really, I really know that I talk about. And if funny, those Oliver Powell are bad people, we, talk, we remember all the events they did. But what will people say a hundred years from now about you? As Pastor Rhonda mentioned, this um, Saturday, we've said a lot about Queen for a day. Uh, this Saturday, this sanctuary will be completely, all the chairs will be gone, stations will be set up, ministry will take place. We will host probably 120 150 ladies, and uh, I just want to share something about that that I, I, I wrote down Wednesday night, if I, may, if I may share this with you. We will, this Saturday, we will touch people next week that no one else wants to touch. Some will have lice, some will have AIDS, some will have STD. Most, most all have been abandoned, offended, molested, raped, or abused. Many have felonies, abortions, warrants, fines, and addictions. When we touch the least of these, the Bible says that we touch Christ. Who knows what's going to happen Saturday? Who knows who's going to reconnect with God? Who knows what Billy Graham or Mother Teresa might be harvested this next Saturday? How cool would it be if you went out of your way and brought somebody that in the next few days or the next few weeks, the next few years, they changed the world? Can, can you imagine that? Can you imagine standing for God and God saying, hey, Snap your high five. You did a good job. The things that were important to me, you made important to you. And what are the things that are important to God is that we feed those that are hungry, we clothe those that are naked, and we visit those that are in prison. And a very unusual surprise this week as I got a tithe check from a maximum security prison. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, we've been trying to give to the prisons and, serve and support the prisons, and now the prison system is supporting us. Somebody ought to give the Lord a hand clap of praise. That is, a, that, is, that is a miracle. But we thank God what is, what is taking place and what is happening. The past three weeks have been three very difficult weeks for me personally because people that have, are close to me have gone to be with the Lord. 
And if you saw the marquee, we honor today Patsy, we honor Tyler, we honor Tanya. Uh, Tanya's family and friends are here today for us to celebrate her life. We are here to celebrate her life. And if you were around Tanya, any at all, a very infectious smile, sense of humor, a hilarious young lady, did hilarious things. But there's two things that we know for sure. Two things. Number one, all dogs go to heaven and all Harleys go to heaven. It was always Tanya's desire to own a Harley, to ride a Harley. So this is my personal opinion. Tanya right now is probably somewhere in heaven on a Harley. Thank you, Matt. When I met the family at the funeral home, I, I learned that, uh, are you ready? Are you ready for that, Austin? When I was at the funeral home, I learned that Tanya uh, loved zebras. She loved anything zebra, anything wild or exotic. And Pastor Rhonda came, came um, home from the weekend and said, hey, I want to bless you this week. I want to give you a pedicure and a manicure. I've never had a pedicure my entire life. I was afraid I'd be too ticklish and I'd slap the girl, but I didn't. I, I survived. And when I was getting the pedicure, I asked Pastor Ron, I said, can I do my toenails in honor of Tanya? And Pastor Ron said, what color? I said, well, it's going to be black, kind of. And so here we, thank you. Thank you, Austin, for, as for Panama City, guys. So I thought it'd be cool to have zebra. Um, it, Oh, somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise in this house. Acts 13 and 36, if you'll pull it up, guys. And this is the thought or theme that I would like to. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid to his fathers and saw corruption. Here the Word of God tells in the book of Acts that David did what David was supposed to do. And here we are 3,000 years later talking about David. I wonder what we will do in this generation that 3,000 years from now people will be talking about us. Jesus said, when you touch the least, you touch me. I can't help think about Jacob. I mean, Jacob was a punk. Even in his mother's womb, the Bible said he wrestled with Esau and tried to be birthed first so he could get the blessing. You know the story? The brothers were born. Esau was a guy in the woods. Jacob stayed around the house, cheated his brother out of his birthright, went on a journey, got thrown out of his house, had to leave because Esau was going to kill him, worked for an uncle, worked 14 years for one wife. How scary is that? Guy, just reflect for a moment. Would you work 14 years for the wife that you have? And that's sure we would, absolutely. Come on, come on, sure we would. And then, and then Jacob had his wages changed seven times. I mean, he, he reaped what he sowed. But there was a moment when Jacob was headed home. The Bible says he made an altar, and a guy came to visit him. And he grabbed hold of that guy, and he says, I am not going to let go of you until you touch me. And that guy was Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus changed the name of Jacob from Jacob, which means crook, deceiver, to Israel, which means people of God. And how cool that encounter, that someone touched God and their name was changed. I'm here to tell you today, it does not matter what title the world has attached to you. The world can call you a loser, a liar, a drug addict, an alcoholic. 
They can call you whatever they want. But when you connect with Jesus and you touch him, there's a new name written down in glory. And today my name is Hank, and I am not a drug addict, but I'm adopted by the Father. I'm born of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a doer of the word. And all those things that God has for me, he has for you. A new name written down in glory. The past two weeks, my life has been impacted by going, going places I did not plan to go and saying things that I did not plan to say. A son is a, a, a mom is not supposed to outlive her son, and a grandmother is not supposed to outlive her daughter. And a couple of weeks ago, as hundreds of people came to pay tribute to Tyler, if you knew Tyler was around Tyler very long, I don't know if you knew it, but he could just hit a softball over the fence. In high school, the Pittsburgh Pirates tried to sign him. He went on to college, and out of college, Cleveland Indians tried to sign him to play professional ball. And he found out five years ago that he had a problem with his heart. And if he was around Tyler at all, you saw a guy that was positive, assertive, impacted somebody's life. I got a feeling years from now, people will still be talking about Tyler Westmoreland. And it's an honor today to have Keisha and the family with us as we these plants celebrate his life and celebrate what he means to us. I said this week, I said, if you love somebody, don't wait till you stand at the side of a coffin and say, I wish I'd have said more. I wish I'd have done more. It's okay to tell them now that you love them and hug them and send them flowers and, and buy them a pizza, whatever you were going to do for them. Come on, I need someone to nod at me. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is all about, is touching one another and reaching one another. His life impacted many and will continue. I thought about Patsy. I mean, what a Patsy was such a such a right. She had the wildest color hair and the wildest clothes. I mean, she dressed like me, a teenager. I mean, she was excited to be around, but it had it not been for Patsy, we wouldn't have Sherry and Keith and the babies and Angela, and we wouldn't have Austin. Come on, somebody give it up for Austin. And today we're honored to have Tanya's family and friends, and we did a miracle in Tanya's family. I'm going to tell you what, when, when, when Dad went through the preparing for a funeral, his heart got attacked. He's a memorial today. He needs a miracle of God. We need God to raise him up. Honey will agree with me that, that God, will, God will do that. God will touch it. God will strengthen we submit to the purpose and the things of God. I thought about not only did Jacob touch God, but I thought about the, the, the woman that had the issue of blood, that she spent all of her money on doctors. Maybe you've got a negative report in your life. Maybe you've been told that what you've got, you're going to live with the rest of your life. I don't agree. I believe that God can come to where you're at, and God can touch you as you touch him, and God can heal your body. The Bible says she pressed through the crowd. She made an, she made an attempt to get to him. And when she got to him, she pressed the crowd, and she did something she shouldn't have done. She was unclean. She had no right to touch him. But the Bible says when she touched him that day, immediately healing flowed from his body to hers. And he looked around and said, who touched me? Here we are 2,000 years later talking about the woman that had the guts to touch somebody that made a difference in their life. Somebody say amen with me in this house. And then I thought about uh, a guy that was a part of what Jesus did, a part of what Jesus was. It was a guy like us that saw miracles. It was a guy like us that saw the hand of God, the favor of God. Let me tell you something. Death can take all your joy and take all of your hope and crush you. The Bible says that death is man's last enemy. The Apostle Paul said, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? That night when Jesus appeared to the disciples, Thomas was not there. He was not a part of the, of the twelve that night. 
And when they begin to tell him, Thomas, Jesus showed up, and Jesus talked to us, and he ministered. Here's what Thomas says. Unless I touch the scars in his hands and his feet, I will not believe. And so, so many people look at Thomas and say, what, what a punk. No, he's just like us. When bad things happen to good people, it's, it's so easy to question and say, God, why did you allow this to happen? Why did that take place? Why are we going through this? Can anybody relate? But Thomas said, I, I, I need a touch from God. I need to see him. I need to touch him. When I touch him, it will confirm my faith. And that night, the Bible says that Jesus showed up in the room. And what happened? Jesus said, touch me, touch the scars, and touch the, the scars of my feet. And Thomas said, my, my Lord and my God, I believe. But aren't you glad today that we don't have to see scars and we don't have to see Jesus Christ reincarnated, but because we can see him in others, we know that there is a God and that he cares about us. If you will, go with me this morning. I had a passage of scripture that I wanted to share. It's found in Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark, the 14th chapter in the third verse. I just want to talk about three people today, if I may, who, who touch God. Kind of paint a picture for you. All three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, talk about this moment. This is a moment where Jesus was out ministering, and a bunch of judgmental, critical hypocrites, is that okay to use that? Brought a young lady that they had caught in adultery. And of course, my challenge with adultery, I always thought it took two to commit adultery. So they got the girl, but they don't have the guy. So I guess I always had an attitude with that particular path. Anyway, it is what it is. And they threw her at the feet of Jesus, and they told him what she had done. And he said, and, and they said, the law says stoner. And that's not smoking a joint. That's like taking big, heavy rocks and throwing on her body so she doesn't move anymore. What do you say, Master? It was a trick. It was a trap. It was trying to put Jesus in a corner, put Jesus in a box. And Jesus never said a word. But the Bible says that Jesus got down on his hands and his knees, and he began to write in the, in the clay. We don't know what he wrote, but the Bible says that all the guys that came to accuse her, as they looked to what he wrote from the oldest to the youngest, every one of them looked at what he wrote, and they walked away. The Bible says they dropped their rocks and split. That means they saw something on the ground that rocked their world. They dropped the rocks, and they walked away. And, of course, we all ponder, did Jesus write down maybe a young lady that they had been around? Or maybe did Jesus write some kind of sin that they, whatever he wrote, they left. Aren't you glad for that? And they're, they're all gone. And Jesus looks at the young lady and says, where's your accusers? And she said, well, they're all gone. And he, the only one that had the right to accuse her, said this, neither do I accuse you. Go thy way and, and don't do this sin anymore. Anyway, get, get away, get out of this. Whatever you're doing, get out of this and turn your life around. Make, make a difference with your life. As we follow her story, we find that later she becomes the Mary that's the sister to Martha, that was the brother, that, that Lazarus was their brother, that Jesus loved to go to their house. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? Martha was the cook, Mary was the worshiper. Jesus would come, Martha would fall at his feet and listen to his stories, Mar Martha would cook his favorite food. I mean, how cool would that be to go where, where you knew the food was going to be great and somebody was going to honor you? How cool was that? And so as, as he began to enjoy hanging around them, he got a report that Lazarus was sick, and he told his disciples Lazarus is asleep. 
And they thought, well, he's asleep. But Lazarus, would you say, no, Lazarus is dead. He waited three days, and he went to where Lazarus was. He went to where Mary and Martha was. Of course, Mary and Martha saw him and said, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. But you remember the story? He made them do something. What did he make them do? Does anybody remember? He said, roll away the stone and see the glory of God. And I believe the Lord is telling us that there are things in our life that sometimes we need to do. I believe if you make the effort, God will honor the effort. We had someone yesterday that sowed something in the church and just, just went out of her way and did something for God. Didn't really have the money to do it, but went to get a coffee and went to pay for it, or went to Hardy and went to pay for it, and found out the person in front of her had paid for her coffee, and then he said he wanted to buy her a tank of gas. Now, how cool is that? How many would like to go somewhere, and, and when you order, somebody pays for it, especially Outback or someplace. I love it when people pick up my, and that's where I'm going today, by the way, if you want to get my ticket. I love it when the waitress comes up and says, hey, you don't have to pay. Now, what, do they leave you a good tip? Well, yeah, I, I love it when that happens. That's what happens when we touch the things of God. Jesus loved Mary. He loved Martha. He loved Lazarus. He went to where they were, and he says, here's what you got to do. If you'll make the effort, I'll bless the effort. And Ricky told them, get the stone out of my way, and let's see what God does. And what happens? The stone is rolled away. Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, come forth? Because everybody in that graveyard would have come forth. And that day's going to happen. We will see Patsy again. We will see Tyler again. We will see Tanya again. So they can't come to where we're at, but we could go to where they're at. Is that exciting to anybody in this, in this house? So, so as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, a couple of days later, they had a banquet in the honor of Lazarus. And so they're all at this banquet. They're all celebrating. They're all actually celebrating the wonder worker. And they were, they were, they were celebrating Jesus, the fact that a celebrity was in their midst. And the Bible says this young lady comes up to Jesus, and she breaks this alabaster box. Later, we're going to learn that it's worth about 300 days wages. I don't know what you make in a year. What are you making a year? 50,000, 30,000? That's what this gift was worth. The Bible says that she took the box and didn't ration it, but she broke it. In other words, only be used one time. And she anointed his, his head and his feet. She bathed his feet with her tears. She cried. She dried his, his feet with her hair. And all the guys around him said, if he was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this woman is. Don't you hate it when you've been living for God 20 years and all the enemy can do is try to drag a skeleton out of the closet and try to remind you of your failures and try to remind you of your pain and, and the things that you've lost in life? Don't you, don't you know that we have and we cannot afford an attorney that could go against the devil to accuse the brethren, but because you cannot afford an attorney, one has been appointed you, and he ever liveth at the right hand of the Father, making intercession. And when the enemy comes in the courtroom of God and starts accusing Pastor Jason, Pastor Jason has an attorney. And you know what Jesus does? He stands and says, Your Honor, may I examine the evidence. And all the evidence against Pastor Jason, the devil reluctantly gives it to this attorney because he knows what's about to happen. This attorney, Jesus, takes that evidence and holds it against his chest just for a moment and gives it back to God. And God looks at the devil and says, I don't know what you're trying to pull because the only thing I see is blood. Blood of my son that was shed at Calvary that has washed away Pastor Jason's mistakes, failures, everything he's ever done. He's clean, he's pure, and you cannot judge him. Aren't you glad that we serve that kind of God that has that kind of blood for us today? How, how phenomenal. And so Jesus addresses them. Here's what he says. 
I came. You didn't wash my feet. She washed my tears. You didn't anoint me. She anointed me with her, her life savings. And what she has done, she did, watch this, what she could. And what she has done will be spoken hundreds of years from now about her. Wouldn't it be so wild to have such a crazy worship, such a crazy praise, that people would remember us a hundred years from now by the way we worship, by the way we praise, by the way that we serve God? Wouldn't it be something if people saw our life and saw the difference that God had made in our life, that this woman who was thrown at the feet of Jesus should have died, should have, should have, should have, should have been condemned, should have been stoned, did not die, gave her a second chance on life, and then she took advantage of that second chance and made a difference in somebody else's life. You can outlive your life. You can, you can do things today to other people that years from now people will say, my life was changed by that. My life was impacted by that. Doing a little research and doing a little study and found that there are 1.75 billion people in the world that are poor. Every night, 1 billion people go to bed hungry. I learned that we have enough grain to feed the world. We just can't get the grain to the people because of politics, because of, of governments. I've shared with you, I've been, to, I've been to Haiti numerous of times. We've sowed a chunk of our life there. And since I've been going there, there have been three different dictators. And every one of those dictators have been given enough money to bail Haiti out of trouble and, and to turn the nation around. But instead of using the money for Haiti's good, they put the money in squeezed bank accounts. They, they, have, they have millions of dollars, and Haiti is starving. But I believe that there are people that can make a difference. We can't be overwhelmed by the fact a nation is dying of starvation, but we can't be overwhelmed by the fact that we are the wealthiest generation that has ever lived, and God has given us the assets to meet the needs of others. What are we doing with that? I'd like to ask you three questions this morning. Two are rhetorical. Don't really require an answer, but the third one does. The first question I'd like to ask you, if you were living in Nazi Germany during the Holocaust and you were a Christian, would you make a stand against what Hitler was doing, even if it cost you your life? That's a rhetorical question because we weren't living in that generation, so we're not accountable for what he did or what they did. Let me ask you a second question. If you were living in the Deep South during all the racial unrest, and all the terrorism and all the all the murders and all the Ku Klux Klan, all the hell that was going against the African people, would you have made it, would you have stood up and said something? Would you have made a difference of where they were at and what they were going through? And again, that's a rhetorical question. We weren't there. We're not responsible for that generation. What are you going to do when your grandson or granddaughter realizes that you lived in a generation where one billion people go to bed hungry every night and you did nothing to feed them now we will we will we will we will deal with that we will address that because this is our generation and jesus made it so so helpful he says if you do it to the least of these you've done it to me and i believe we're going to stand before god and i don't believe we're going to be judged by the books we wrote 
or by the money that we acquired or by the sermons we preached. I don't think we're going to be judged by anything that we built or any kingdom that we have. I don't think we're, I believe we're going to stand right before God. And he said, if you love me, you'll take care of the widow and the orphan. That's what religion and ministry is all about because you made something happen to somebody else. Now, I'm going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I want to make you a ruler over many. Pastor Ron was so kind to uh, print something for me. And Pastor Ron, I believe I have it here. I do. This article is entitled Sing a Little Louder. And I'm going I'm going to read if I try to quote it from memory, I'm gonna miss something important. Young lady by the name of Penny Lee, you may, you know you may know Penny. She writes books, she's real strong pro-life, but Penny Lee was was speaking at a conference, and at the end of the conference, a person walked up to her and told her this story. She wrote it down so I could share it with you. I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I consider myself a Christian. I attended church since I was a small boy. We heard the stories of what was happening to the Jews. But like most people today in this country, we tried to distance ourselves from the reality of what was really taking place. What could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we would hear the whistle from a distance and then the clanking of the wheels moving over the track. We became disturbed when one Sunday we noticed cries coming from the train as it passed by. We grimly, horrifically realized that the train was carrying Jews. They were like cattle in those cars. Week after week, the train whistle would blow, we would dread to hear the sound of those old wills because we knew that Jews would begin to cry out to us as they passed our church. It was so terribly disturbing. We could do nothing to help those poor, miserable people, yet their screams tormented us. We knew exactly at what time the whistle would blow, and we decided the only way to keep from being so disturbed by the cries was to start singing our hymns. By the time the train came rumbling past the church large, we were singing at the top of our voices. If some of the screams reached our ears, we just sing a little louder until we could hear them no more. Years have passed. No one talks much about it anymore, but I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. I can still hear them crying for help. God forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians, yet did nothing to intervene. Now, so many years later, I see it happening all over again in America. God forgive you as Americans, for you've blocked out the screams of millions of your children. The Holocaust is here. The response is the same as it was in my country. Silence. I begin to weep as I begin to read some of the statistics of the sex trade market that's taking place today. In the past two years, 39,000 children have been kidnapped from the state of Florida. 39,000 children have been kidnapped. Yet today I will go and I will order a meal and I won't be able to eat it all. I'll take some of it home and eat it later. And part of it, or most of it, will go to my seven-year-old Chihuahua who eats better than one billion people in the world. 
We cannot be the church that just sings louder when we hear bad things happening to good people. We can't just be a church that we drowned out all the cries and all, all the appeals. We are a very small body. And I understand that we can't feed everybody in this nation, but every other Wednesday night, we have 30 to 60 cars line up around our building, and if we don't give them food, they don't eat that week. We can do what we can do in the name of Jesus the best that we can do it. Second person I want to tell you that touched Jesus was again a young lady that she was a party animal and she loved to party and because of her lifestyle she was not allowed to go to the well in the morning as the other maidens and wives would go and draw water their water had to be drawn every day they had no running water had to be taken from a well and so at noon she would go with her water pots and she would fill her containers and go back to the city the Bible says that every night before Jesus went to bed, he heard from God what he was supposed to do the next day. Every night. He would go on the mountain and pray. The disciples, some would go with him, some wouldn't. But he would hear from God that night. Then the next day, he would follow the plan of God. That night, God must have told him to go to that well because that morning he sent the disciples off to buy food because he knew they could handle what he was about to do. In that generation... If a godly, moral man spoke to a prostitute, then he was considered immoral, clean, and unclean, and dirty. And that day, your reputation could stone you if you had a bad reputation. And that day, if your children mumbled and complained, they took your children outside the gates of the city and stoned them. It was a pretty tough environment. So Jesus sent them on down the road, and he came up to this well. And there was this young lady at noon with her water pots, drawing water, and he asked her if she would give him a drink. Well, immediately she was blown away because she knew that a godly man could not talk to her, could not approach her in public. And she began to question his, his why, why are you talking to me? You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan. I am under a curse. I'm living under a curse. Why, why, would, you, why would you waste your time in talking to me? He began to talk about the water that he could give her that she would never thirst again. He asked her, he said, are you married? She said, no, I'm not married. And she told the truth. She divorced six times, and the guy she was living with, she wasn't even married to. He said, you have, you have, you have done well. You're right. You're not married. You've been divorced six times. The guy you're living with, it blew her mind that he knew something so personal about her that if he had wanted to, could have exploited her, could have taken advantage of her, but did not. You see the picture? Here a guy goes to a well. Here's a prostitute. He wants a drink of water. She begins to negotiate. He begins to tell her who he is and what he can do for her. And it rocks her world. And the Bible says on that day, that which represented her shame and her condemnation, those water pots. The water pots said every day at noon she took the water pots because she couldn't go early in the morning. The Bible says that day she left her water pots at the well, ran back in the city and said, come see a man who knew everything about me but promised me eternal life. The Bible says this, half of the city came to the well to hear Jesus, but the other half stayed and gave their heart to God because of her testimony. Let me tell you something, God can use your testimony to turn things from darkness to light. We are plugged in different areas and people know us. People know where we've been, what we've been through, what we've overcome. And our life can make a difference in the life of somebody else. 
I remember the words of a song. I think I shared the words of this song at Tyler's homegoing. It matters so little how much you may own, the places you've been, or the people you know. It all comes to nothing when laid at his feet, just memories to Jesus, memories to keep. Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one chance to do God's will. So give to Jesus all your days. It's the only life that pays when you recall you have but one life. Ecclesiastes 3 says it so well. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. We were at we were at Tyler's where Tyler was buried in Crandall, Georgia. And I want to remember, and Brad, you may have to help me. Seems like the oldest 1846. What is 17 what? There was a there was a, a marker there. 1790 only lived until 1830. It's 50 years old. But I saw that date that that, that someone had died in, in that in that time period. And I saw the I saw the date where it says they were born, and I saw the date where it says they died, and then there was a slash in between. And so many times we make such a big deal about the day that we're born, and we should. Everybody should drink a Red Bull on your birthday. Everybody should celebrate. Today is Renee uh, uh, Moore's birthday. We're going to sing to her, but she's not here, so she won't get sung to. But we place, we place a lot of emphasis on that, on that birthday, as we should. And then we place a lot of emphasis on the day that a loved one went to be with the Lord, as we should. But what's really important is on that slash, whether you live to be 12 or whether you live to be 30, whether you live to be 50, Tanya would have been 35 the 13th of this month. Is that right? Whether you live to be 35, it's not really important about the day that you were born or the day that you died. But what happened in that window? What, 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 what took place in that season of your life? What did you give back? What difference did you make? You can't hang around Patsy's family or Tyler's family or Tanya's family and not realize they impacted their generation. They impacted people's lives. They're at, at Tanya's uh, gathering people to come. It's supposed to be from 2 from 4, 5 till 8. That was supposed to be the windows. At 2 o'clock, it was passed out, and it went to past 10. They didn't take the break. It went past 10 o'clock, and I realized this young lady has made a difference in the lives of many. She leaves a 9-year-old daughter. Her dad's in, in ICU with a heart attack on a machine. I mean, how do you tell, how do you tell family? How do, how, do, how do you tell Tyler's family or Patsy's family or Tanya's family that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose? I'm going to tell you, bad things happen to good people. And we don't have all the answers, but there will come a day when the, but the song says, farther along, we'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. Story that I've shared around the world, literature around the world. 1843, there was a lawyer by the name of Horatio Swafford. Horatio Swafford had five children, four girls and one boy. In 1847, at the age of three, his little boy 
contact contracted uh, um, polio and died. Three years old. A few years later, there was a horrific fire in Chicago. I think it was 1863. There was a horrific fire in in Chicago, and and Horatio Swafford, his real estate, lost everything that he owned, was penniless overnight. Put his wife and four daughters to sail to Europe. Had family in Europe. Was going to go to Europe, re, re, refinance, relocate, and come back and start over again. Put his wife and four daughters on a on a sailing vessel headed to Europe. And halfway to Europe, the sailing vessel was was run into by an iron vessel. And as he was waiting to hear the results, he got a tele he got a telegram from his wife, and it said, "Saved, alone. What should I do?" He immediately got on a sailing vessel and began to sail to Europe. And he asked the captain, he said, when we hit the spot in the ocean where I lost my family, would you come and wake me up? About 2 o'clock in the morning, the captain knocked on his door and said, we're getting close to the place where the ship was sunk. And as he walked out on that, on that rail and watched that water and watched the ocean, had an old envelope in the back of his pocket. He took the envelope out and had something to write with. And he began to write these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And I say today to, to, to Chris, to Dean, to, to Sherry and Angie, to Keish and those that have said goodbye to loved ones, I'm here to tell you, it is well with our soul. We depend upon the peace of God to, to sustain us and keep us and hold us to close to his heart at this time. I encourage you again, if you love somebody, don't wait till you, you, you send flowers or you send a note, you stand by. Go out of your go out of your way to let them know now you love them, appreciate them. We talked last week about being offended, having odd against your brother. Leave your gift at the altar. Go to your brother. Time, time is too short. Life is too precious. Moments are too, are too limited for us to live our life with an attitude, mad about everything and mad, and mad about everybody. I knew this would be a heavy word today, so I did not want to end it heavy. I wanted, it, I wanted to end it on a lighter note. I believe, had Tanya lived to been 90... I kind of believe, guys, if you'll help me with the lights, I kind of believe, knowing what, I, I met her two months ago, and I was around the family all day, and Tiffany's been telling me different stories and different things happening. I really believe that had Tanya lived to been 90, I believe that we have captured a short clip, a short video of her life. So, family, I wanted to bless you with this, as I know somewhere in heaven on a Harley, Tanya is watching and probably laughing. I could invite you into the kitchen for some coffee and vittles, but Granny's so mean and cantankerous when it comes to... Pearl! Forgive me. I'm the one that set the law on you. Please forgive me, Pearl. I'm so ashamed. Forgive me, Pearl. Don't let Jim throw me out of the class. You set the law on me? Oh, I'm low, Pearl. Awful low on me. Step on me, Pearl. Step on me. Step on me like you would a worm. Drop on me. Grind your feet on me. Break it up, Pearl. Mr. Policeman, run over me. I don't deserve to live. 
seen black and white television that was black and white television at its finest as every head is bowed as every eye is closed father we thank you for every song for every declaration of faith every statement's been made today we thank you for the word that we share we thank you for the woman that had the issue of blood that touched your son and was healed i pray those here today that need a miracle physically spiritually financially